strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We want to make sure you get to meet the candidates for office, and the latest race that just kind of happened is the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. Joining us now is Annie Foster. She is a candidate that's qualified for the ballot, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. Let's talk uh, a little bit about your background. Chief Counsel, you work for the governor. That's correct. You work for DPS. That's correct. So the question I've asked every candidate is what uniquely qualifies you for this office over the other candidates in your party and in the other party? So what uniquely qualifies me is that I worked at DPS, which is a public safety organization, but it's a statewide organization, right? So I helped law enforcement and it helped advise them, counsel them all the way on cases from developing reasonable suspicion, probable cause, determining whether that existed, all the way through convictions, right? We would have interviews, defense interviews that we'd have to deal with. I worked on cases all the way through. Um, but above and beyond that, we supported law enforcement all throughout the state. There were multiple ways through criminal justice um, databases and things like that. So we had to have really good relationships with law enforcement all over the state. So that's number one. From a law enforcement perspective, I've got the chops there. Um, on the other side, though, I have sat at the highest level of state government, which means I have seen criminal justice policy from the 30,000 foot level. I've been involved in it for the last 15 years. All of the biggest issues that have been um, in, in law enforcement's face, in, in prosecutors' faces, all of those issues that have come um, to the table, I've been at the table. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified more than any other candidate in the race. So the relationship between law enforcement and the prosecutors is a very, very important relationship that people don't normally think about. But, you know, the the cops make the arrest, they do the investigations, but the prosecutors have to have the evidence to convict the cases. And if that relationship falls apart, where is the relationship now with the Maricopa County Attorney's Office and what needs to happen, if anything, to restore it? So, Mike, what I'm hearing is that the relationship has really broken down between the county attorney's office and law enforcement. I'm hearing that um, they don't have a lot of faith in what's going on over there. Um, I think at the line level, we have individual prosecutors and officers out on the street who are working together um, to serve the citizens the best that they can. But what we need is leadership. We need a leader in that office who's going to go out and meet with our police chiefs, hear what's going on with them, make sure that the county attorneys understands exactly what their concerns are, because that relationship is essential. Bottom line is the county attorney, the prosecutors over there, if they they don't have uh, cases being forwarded from law enforcement. They don't have a job to do, right? Those those arrests have to be made and vice versa. If the prosecutors aren't prosecuting crimes, then the law enforcement that the job that the law enforcement is doing is is for not you can arrest as many people as you want from law enforcement but without the prosecutor then those those crimes don't get convictions and victims don't get justice we had the sheriff on the show talking about the relationship in his office and and, the, and he said that the two offices his office and the office you're running for you know it's a partisan election but you you more than any other office have to represent everyone you have to treat everyone fairly how do you run an 
in a partisan primary, but then make sure that you can convey to the Maricopa County citizens that it's not a partisan office. So I, I think, first of all, I will tell you that when when I look at leadership lessons in terms of, you know, uh, how to lead, I turn to Ronald Reagan. Right. I remember as a child sitting around my dinner table with my family, watching the evening news, watching him address the nation. And uh, there are certain characteristics of leadership that transcend politics. And what that is, is character, integrity and moral clarity. And I have that, um, you know. What we need to see is whether it's a partisan primary or a a general election, the citizens of Maricopa County, they want to know that somebody is in that office representing them, right? They want to know that somebody is going to go in and have their interests in mind. And they don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. They want a leader that is going to lead on that front. Now, on on the issue of, um, you know, a partisan primary, I think, again, we need to make sure that we're concerned about public safety. And that's something that transcends, um, you know, all parties. So let's go to what I thought was, this is my opinion, I'm putting now putting words in your mouth, the statement made by your opponent right now, Julie Gunnigal, and saying that there are laws, the abortion law that goes on the books, and now it is, that she wouldn't enforce it. And uh, that sounded to me like a kind of a political statement more than a statement of law. Where do you stand on this? So first of all, I think as uh, an executive officer, because that's what you do, this this is civics 101, quite frankly, that um, as an, a member of the executive branch, your job is to faithfully execute the laws. That's the oath that you take. Um, and it's all laws. It's, you don't get to pick and choose, right? You have to make sure that you're um, enforcing the laws. That's your job. And you're enforcing the laws that are brought to you. So number one, you're not fulfilling your oath if that's the position that you're taking. But number two, you are politicizing the office. And I think we all need to be concerned about anybody that would take this office and politicize it in any way, shape, or form. The power of the county attorney, and we've seen this in Arizona over the years, um, is really strong and um, it can be abused and we want to make sure that somebody that is in that office understands the responsibility that goes along with the authority of that office so uh, Miss Gunnigal said that the reason why is prosecutorial discretion and using the assets of the office in the best way that there is how do you address that when she said we can't do everything so we're not going to do this well you do need to prioritize of course but prosecutorial discretion is not about picking and choosing which crimes you're going to uh, prosecute. Prosecutorial discretion is about determining um, in in your cases as to whether the evidence exists and, and whether you um, can pursue a case, um, whether you are going to be able to meet the burden of proof. It, it does not mean that you get to pick and choose which laws you, you get to enforce. Annie Foster is joining us. She is a candidate for Maricopa County Attorney and is qualified for the ballot. Uh, what is the number one issue on the outside looking in? The number one one issue you think you need to address day one if you get the job? Day one is morale in the office and relationships. Um, You already mentioned it, Mike. Uh, Law enforcement has kind of lost faith in this office right now, and they're they're struggling. They don't feel that when, um, you know, officer-involved shootings are occurring that, um, or or when officers are shot at, that they're getting investigated and they're getting handled in a a timely fashion. Um, There there is a backlog of officer-involved shooting cases that 
um, law enforcement is not really clear about where those cases stand. Um, but I will also tell you that um, just the men and women that the line level men and women that work in the prosecutor's office, they need some leadership. They need somebody that will fight for them. And just knowing that someone is engaged in fighting for them, uh, you know, I don't know that many people realize this, but the salaries at the prosecutor's office are really low. When you talk about, you know, we're in a job market right now where unemployment is so low, options are abound for anyone. That includes our prosecutors. So if they can go and work somewhere else and make a lot more money, um, they're going to. And so we need to make sure that we've got people, we've got um, people who are willing to work and understand the role of the job, but we also need to support them. And that's through not just, you know, working with the board of supervisors and, you know, making sure they're getting paid what, what they deserve, um, but also just being out there and showing them that someone is leading them and speaking up for them. All right. If people want to know more about your campaign, where can they find you? Social media website. How can they find more? So, so I'm on Twitter. I'm on um, uh, Facebook. I also have a website, www.anniefoster.com. Annie is spelled A-N-N-I. There's no E on it. Um, so A-N-N-I-F-O-S-T-E-R.com is my website. Um, I'm going to be out and about talking a lot more um, to people and uh, just getting getting my name out there and, and making sure people understand uh, what I plan to do with the office. Well, get your track shoes on. It's going to be a sprint. I don't... I do not envy anyone that's doing this. I, I mean, I appreciate it, but I don't know why anyone would want to do this, especially in this compact time frame. So I wish you luck. Well, thank you, Mike. Um, I'm just, I really believe in this office. I believe that how important this office is. It's the third largest prosecutorial office in the nation in the fourth largest county in the nation. And we need to make sure that we keep the way of life that we have here the same. And we need to make sure that we don't turn into Seattle, San Francisco, or Portland. All right. Thank you so much. That's Annie Foster, candidate for Maricopa County Attorney. Coming up in a moment, what direction is oil headed? So we'll talk about that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. It was a great conversation with Annie Foster, uh, General Counsel for Governor Ducey and running now for Maricopa County Attorney's Office. Make sure you are an educated voter. We are going to have as many of the candidates on as often as we can so that you get to know them a little better. But do your own homework and make sure you're making wise choices on who you elect to office. And was just talking with Ms. Foster off the air. Um, really a compelling story. So you should make sure you get to her website and, uh, and, and check her out as a candidate and learn more about her because it was really a great story to hear off the air. And we'll have back on again i'm sure as as the can as the uh, campaigns move forward which direction are we going when it comes to gas prices what direction are we going when it comes to energy prices in general a couple of things i want you to hear this is the president uh, talking about energy plan which is before the congress now we can take advantage of the next generation of electric vehicles that a typical driver will save about 80 dollars a month from not having to pay gas at the pump If your home is powered by safer, cheaper, cleaner electricity like solar or heat pumps, you can save about $500 a month on average. 
Okay. Now, I will tell you, there are a couple of things there that I agree with what the president is saying. And what I, part of that is the solar panels for your home. We all understand, I, living in Arizona, if we are, and if we're smart at all, we're going to be capturing solar energy and making it as useful as we possibly can. But we also understand how little of our energy is created, our electricity is created by solar, and how long it's going to take for that to increase anywhere that's going to be a, a huge dent in what we're, where we're using other sources from. But the idea of just buying an electric vehicle, Go out and price an electric vehicle. This is not an answer for people, not to mention the infrastructure is not even close to being there. How many apartment complexes here in town have have um, charging stations for electric vehicles? How many? And how many are going to be necessary as we transition into making it predominantly electric vehicles that are on the roads? And what does it do to the electrical grid? What does it do to the electrical infrastructure within an apartment complex? So retrofitting is one thing. Uh, Coming from the place I came from uh, as an electrical contractor, I can tell you that when you have – when you put that much demand on a service, and that's what it's called, an electrical service on a building, it's like adding it on your home. If you have a 200-amp service – which is standard for a home in the valley, you have a 200-amp service that you're never going to challenge that 200-amp limit. Now imagine if you had to put in chargers for so many electric vehicles. Well, that's what an apartment complex is going to face. That's what a condominium complex is going to face. When you have the overall system being having that much demand on it, you've got to account for it. So it's one thing about new construction to account for what's coming. It's a completely different thing to retrofit. It's not as simple of digging a trench, putting up a charger, and connecting them to the existing electrical panel. So this is going to be a huge undertaking in this country. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm saying that this is a long way from happening. So here's a combination of ABC and Fox News reporters talking about gas prices with motorists. In California, where gas is now $5.90 a gallon, the most expensive in the nation, relief can't come soon enough. This is insane. What do they think we are, all Rockefellers? Sergio Arredondo says it's getting difficult to fill up his company's trucks. You look at $600 to fill up that truck. It's all going up and up and up. When is it going to stop? Premium here at this station on Alameda Ave in Burbank going for just... Just over seven dollars a gallon. It's ridiculous, bro. Like usually you put it in and you get at least a half a tank or something like that. Chris, like so many, now paying double just to fill it up. Maybe uh-huh. like five minutes for it just to get up to less than a quarter of a tank. And that was probably well like 50, 60 bucks. Like sixty bucks. And that that's what the American individual and family, that's what they're enduring. Now you transfer this to small businesses. So I want you to think about who you use for the services at your home, whether it's the, the company that cleans your carpets, whether it's the plumbers or the electricians, whoever services your home, delivery companies, things of that nature. How in the world do those small businesses eat these costs over the long term? I warned everybody about, the. I, I said earlier, the president should talk about drilling and becoming energy independent and the upping the amount that we produce in the U.S. But he's going to make his base angry when he does that because the prism that this administration looks through is climate change. And those are the people that support this administration. So yesterday, the president talked about making sure that the producers in America are producing. He blamed it on them, which I thought was wrong, but he talked about maximizing production in the U.S. And sure enough, the base of that party is saying that this is wrong, we shouldn't do this. And you look at the now how out of touch that is with the American people.
Here's one more that I thought was fascinating. Nancy Pelosi, they ran the idea of a gas tax holiday with, you know, federal gas tax holiday. And she said, was asked by a reporter whether she supported it. She explained the concept has been floated around as an idea, but it was rejected. Instead, she said, people understand there's going to be a reduction in gas. People understand that there's going to be a reduction in the gas tax. Um, the con is the oil companies do not necessarily pass that on to the consumer. So she blames it to the oil companies. So what they are going to do is the, the Nancy Pelosi plan is to continue the taxes the way they are which I'm not saying it's good or bad, but then they want to give out vouchers or debit cards for people to go and buy gas. So you understand you could just not take the money from the American people. Just not take it. And the oil companies don't don't do anything about passing on that cost. You know who does? The person that collects and pays those taxes. And that person is the person that owns the gas station. That person is the one that's responsible for collecting all sales taxes, including gasoline tax, and writing that check to the government. One to the federal government, one to the state. So I just thought it was interesting that the plan is, nope, we're going to continue to tax the American people, but then we're going to write them checks. Again, we're the problem, and oddly enough, we're the solution to the problem. Coming up in a moment, um, Attorney General Mark Burnovich is going to join us. We're going to talk about the lawsuit about masks. We're also going to talk about some of the new pieces of legislation that some are calling controversial and lawsuits possibly against the state of Arizona that he's going to have to defend. All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. In joining me in studio is Attorney General Mark Burnovich. Timing is everything. And uh, just handed to me right before you walked in the studio is a, is a statement from Secretary Mayorkas and the CDC ending of Title 42, which will be effective May 23rd of this year. Um, how, do you, how do you respond to this, and is there going to be a state response to this? Well, Thank you for having me on, Mike. It's great to be back in the studio. And look, I mean, you know that our office has been on the forefront of pushing back against the lawlessness of the Biden administration. I literally, we were off air talking about the case I argued at the end of February on the public charge rule that the Biden administration illegally illegally withdrew. And so... I sit there, and I've said this before, they've essentially incentivized and decriminalized legal immigration, and one of the only things, one of the only things that we know that was working, that was preventing even a greater flood, was Title 42. And this was basically um, the Trump-era policy that used you know, that public health exception to stop people, or it would uh, force them to be deported before they could have an asylum hearing. So it was one of the major tools, one of the only tools we had left now to stop a bigger flood. I know from talking to the border sheriffs, they anticipate legal immigration doubling if this is withdrawn. And we know that within the last year, more than 2 million people illegally entered this country. I mean, it's like the entire states of Alaska, Wyoming, and Vermont combined. I mean, so these are massive numbers. And all you got to do is go to like Scottsdale and Shea, and you can literally see your taxpayer dollars being used to house people that have broken the law that come into country illegally. The case I was arguing at the U.S. Supreme Court on the public charge dealt with giving benefit or welfare benefits to people that did not have legal status. And the case we just won last week in federal court was trying to get the Biden administration to deport people under Title VIII when you have a deportation order. There's more than a million people that are supposed to be deported. They're not. So I, I worry... 
because I know as a prosecutor, former gang prosecutor, former federal prosecutor, uh, the situation at the border uh, is a catastrophe. We have ceded, we have essentially ceded control of the southern border of the cartels. They're making a record amount of money, which I think will end up destabilizing Mexico. And we know that fentanyl um, is flooding in this country. We know methamphetamine is flooding into this country. And the price, for example, street price of a fentanyl pill has literally gone from about $20 a pill a year ago to about $5 a pill now. I mean, and that's because the supply is flooding our system. And that's why in places like Pima County, you see the the biggest cause of death now amongst people that are under 21 is uh, fentanyl, drug overdoses. I mean, this is destroying our communities. It's making us less safe and it's stretching our social safety net. So I don't know why or what the Biden administration's thoughts are doing, but literally every single thing they've done on the border has made our country less safe, more dangerous, and, you know, God forbid, there's, there's, we know, I know now from yeah. intelligence support, there's people from the Middle East that are coming over, that are being released, that aren't being questioned, and, you know, who knows what they want to do. So let's shift, because there's so many topics I want to get to, and I'm glad you were here for this, because I was going to talk about this in a little while, but I definitely wanted your perspective. Let's talk about, for a moment, the lawsuit about the masks and airplanes. You've joined 20 other states. Where does that stand, and what grounds do you have to, to, to file it? Well, we, we were using um, the fact that the CDC didn't follow the proper legal procedures, including the Administrative Procedures Act, it's kind of analogous to the lawsuit we filed against the Biden administration related to withdrawing the public charge rule. Uh, at, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I was the first law attorney general in the entire country that filed a lawsuit over the vaccine mandates. I and mean, there's a lot of things the federal government is doing that are not consistent with the Constitution. And in this instance, with the mask mandates, I mean, I think it's not only inconsistent with the science, but it's inconsistent with federal law dealing with administrative procedures and how you implement uh, rules and regulations and impose them on common carriers. So let's shift to one more. The yes, Department of Justice's letter that came in saying that uh, they may be challenged the law uh, in Arizona about transgender youth that was recently signed by the governor, and your response was, see you in court. Yeah. You know, uh, we have been, um, the, the Biden administration has been a full employment act for our office and our lawyers, and whether it's initiating lawsuits over his failed policies or, or defending state common sense measures. Uh, you know, we, we there's a lawsuit filed um, just the other day, yesterday, and another one today on those election integrity measures, which we will be defending once again in court. We have to all the way to the Supreme Court, as I did in Bernie of HVDNC last year. So uh, my, my initial reaction to this is like, we've gotten to this place in society where it is absolutely crazy. Like what's going on? I mean, there's a reason why we have different boys and girls sports, at least historically why we've had that. I, I, I find it, puzzling that a U.S. Supreme Court justice or a possible Supreme Court justice can't define what a boy or a girl is without without going to a biologist. I mean, that's crazy. This is why common sense, you know, someone here that grew up in Arizona, it's like common sense, normal people are like, this is crazy stuff. I mean, at some point, you know, we need to acknowledge a man cannot have a baby. It doesn't matter how hard you want to try, Mike. You can't have a baby. You're not going to get pregnant. We have to acknowledge that there are biological differences. And even in sports, you have people that are changing, but they have a competitive advantage. I mean, you know, if you're if you're born a male, you, you have a bigger heart and there, there's other biological advantages you have. I mean, there's a reason why they, they ban performance handling drug performance handling drugs drugs and football and baseball because they don't want people to have that inherent advantage and quite frankly boys are bigger and stronger than women there are biological differences between the sexes and to me as a parent and both of my girls played sports growing up 
Um, you know, I understand this issue uh, very much so, and I, I just. It's really mind-boggling to me that we have gotten to the point in society where the Biden administration is saying, the Biden administration is saying, Arizona, we are going to sue you over this law because you do not want boys playing girl sports. And I'm going to do everything I can once again to protect Arizona values, and I'm going to be in court against the Biden administration fighting to protect the law. How many lawsuits have there been? How many lawsuits have you been a part of? Do you, have you counted? Uh, just, just against Biden yet, or are you yeah, including Jim, the Obama ones too? Yeah, let's, let's, over let's, just, let's get a total. Uh, I don't Do you know. Have any idea? I honestly, there, there, it. And what's your record? Um, well, you know, this is the funny thing is there are times like, for example, in the Brnovich v. DNC case, when we that the Court of Appeals, the Ninth Circuit struck down those Arizona laws and you saw a lot of people on the left say, oh, my gosh, you know, look, the Arizona lost their case. And, you know, the Ninth Circuit has never been friendly to Arizona and it's been never been friendly to conservatives in general. But then those cases end up going to the Supreme Court. And so literally, you, you, look, within the last last year, I argued a case to the U.S. Supreme Court. I argued another one at the U.S. Supreme Court this year because I think that. Sometimes lower courts don't always get it right, and it's important. The rule of law is all about fighting all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court or fighting the state Supreme Court. And so there have been instances where, look look at the case we have against the universities. Um, you know, that case ended up at the state Supreme Court now. We're waiting a decision on the state Supreme Court whether we can move forward on that. So. It's important sometimes to keep in the fight, to be in the fight, and not be afraid of maybe a, a temporary setback because it's all about long-term wise, what does the rule of law require, and making sure I'm doing everything I can to protect hardworking Arizona taxpayers and to protect Arizona values. I appreciate the time as always. It's tough to get a hold of you sometimes because you're so pulled so many different directions, but I really do appreciate you coming in and talking about these things, and I hope you'll come back. Of course, Mike. It's great. Thank all you right. very much. All right. That's Thanks. Attorney General Mark Burnovich joining us for a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do it. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. It's very simple, very easy. Never miss a minute of the show. And this week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. You can get the most money selling your home for cash by going to highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. Glendale Elementary School District is closing three schools. Here's why. It's reflected the challenges that many school districts face with declining enrollment. And, uh, you know, you can't. What are the reasons for declining enrollment? And especially in the elementary school districts, there are a number of them. And uh, but let's just also take a look at and it's a fair thing to look at what parents are seeing. Parents that have the ability to homeschool their kids or look at other options. Like, well, charter schools are one of them, but we have micro schools now in addition to homeschooling. There are parents that are looking for other options where parents can have more control of the curriculum. So the argument, and I've heard it many times, the argument has been about um, about education is that the education professionals, you wouldn't tell a doctor what to do. I wouldn't tell a doctor what to do, but what I would do is seek out a doctor that agrees with me and that I agree with. There is a huge difference. I've met, you know, my doctor, I've told you, has been, I've mentioned on the show many times. I don't know why I talk my, about him so much other than he's a great guy in addition to being a great doctor. But he is someone I clicked with over 25 years ago when I started using him as my primary care physician. And we've developed a relationship over years. But the principles and his policies and the way he practices medicine is what made me 
want to keep going there no matter where his practice moved to. And there is the same thing with parents. When they understand that what a school district is teaching is what they want their children to learn. And other things are what they don't want their children to learn. Are you listening to the parents? Now, do I think this is the only reason why this is happening? Absolutely not. But it is interesting at the, in the fastest growing county in the entire nation, we have schools with enrollment down at all. That is remarkable. And the school districts are going to have to take a look at why that is. Parents are voting with their feet. For one reason or another, they are voting with their feet. Here's the story. Over a third of teenagers experienced worse mental health during the pandemic, according to a CDC survey. This is, again, part of the frustration from the parents. Now, this does go back a little ways, but the Phoenix Union High School District, I believe, still has their mask mandate in place. I want you to let that sink in. If your child goes to public school in the city of Phoenix, elementary or high school districts, they're mandating that they still wear masks, as far as I know. And the idea that that's still happening is infuriating to some people. Now let's go back a little ways. When all of the metrics were saying it was safe to reopen schools, and you look in the East Valley especially, um, the districts there were furious. And so the AIA, which is the Arizona Interscholastic Association, who they oversee sports for all the high school sports in the state of Arizona, they were going to cancel the winter sports last year. So the parents were getting together and they were going to start their own league. They were going to hire the officials and they were going to have their own leagues. And it was a a brilliant idea as far as I was concerned, but they were going to do it on their own. So they had an emergency meeting at the AIA and the one person changed their vote from no to yes to have those winter sports. Sports, But now the winter sports was soccer, basketball and wrestling. They made all of the participants wear masks while playing. Yes, outdoors at a soccer field, you had to wear a mask. Dumb. On a basketball court, running up and down a basketball court, they had to wear a mask. And how about wrestling? Six minutes, three two minute periods. And you are in constant physical contact, sweating all over each other for six minutes. Had to wear a mask. So these are the kinds of things that parents looked at, not to mention that during online learning, they were listening to what teachers were teaching and saying. And I will be I want to be very clear every time I talk about this. The vast majority of teachers, just like the vast majority of police officers, are so good at their jobs and are dedicated to doing a good job, and they do it because it's a calling, not because it's a job. And that reflects the vast majority of people. But just like in law enforcement, when you get someone that goes rogue, they need to be put in check. Sometimes that means they get to be punished or retrained. Other times they've got to go. And we have seen far too many times when parents are speaking up about curriculum or individual teachers, they're being told to be quiet. Imagine, imagine what would have happened if the Black Lives Matter protesters here in Arizona were deemed by anybody on my side of the aisle. Let's go with me. And I have no power. I just have a big mouth. If I went on the air and I called Black Lives Matter protesters domestic terrorists, what would have happened? I probably would have been fired. I certainly would have had to apologize. And I would have been excoriated in the media. And justifiably so. Parents go to school board meetings and they speak up against curriculum or individual teachers. And they were labeled by the White House and by the teachers organizations. They were labeled domestic terrorists. 
So when this stuff happens, parents are going to push back. If there's one thing that will turn a parent into an activist is it's mess with their children. And there are changes that parents want. The last thing about this is the school systems are failing miserably. Now, it's teachers fault, curriculums fault, budgets fault, not enough money. All of the above, possibly. But when you have 65% of third graders unable to read at at grade level, and you've got 67% of eighth graders that are not ready for high school math, we're failing. And parents are looking for other options. Parents that are serious about their children's education will stop at nothing to get their children a good education. And if that means driving them somewhere else, sending them somewhere else, finding a way to pay for them to go somewhere else, they will. But for the families that can't afford to do that, it's why I'm such a big advocate for school choice. Because I think even working class families should be able to take their kids and the money attached to their children and go someplace else. That's why I'm such an advocate. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, unsettling news about the economy. More than 25% of Americans can't afford their buy now, pay later stuff. And we're going to talk about how bad it could possibly get. All that's coming up next.